you to church today, especially those of you that may be here for the very first time today, especially those of you who may be logged on the very first time online. We're so glad. Hey, once again, can we just give all those people a very big welcome? Come on, give them a big vibrant church welcome. We're so glad. So glad, so honored to have you. And today, I want to welcome you to our series on Revelation. Everybody say Revelation. Hope you got your note sheet ready. Got a lot I want to give you today. If you're online, our host in the chat box is going to be dropping a link or should have already done so where you can download the note sheet. Follow along with us. I'm so excited that you are here today because today is the grand finale of this entire series that we've been on journeying through the book of Revelation. And I really believe, listen, I really believe that God intentionally saved the best for last. I really, I hope you're ready. If you, hey, listen, I don't care what's going on in your life. If you need some hope, if you need some strength, if you need some faith today, if you need some encouragement, you pick the greatest Sunday to come to church because I'm about to give you an overdose. I'm about to OD on some hope today and some encouragement. How many of you are some hope fans in the house today? This is, God saved the absolute best for last. And so lean in. I got a lot I want to give you. And so hang with me because I really believe God's going to do something and speak something powerful to all of us this morning. As we enter into the final chapters of this book, that's chapter 21 and 22, we see another picture of heaven. Everybody say heaven. But this time it's a picture of what our dwelling place in heaven is going to look like. It's the clearest picture in all the Bible of what heaven is going to be like for you and me as believers. I mean, if you're going to live there for all of eternity, wouldn't you want to know what it's going to be like? Can I get an amen, everybody? There's an incredible description in these chapters we're going to look at of what God has prepared for all of us in heaven. So today I kind of consider myself a tour guide. I'm going to kind of take you on a tour of what God God says, this is what is awaiting those who have put their faith in my son, Jesus. This is what I have prepared for you. And honestly, I feel pretty inadequate to even go through these descriptions with you because it, it's such an incredible description of what God has prepared for our future. There aren't really words to describe it. Words don't do it justice. The apostle John, he gives us some words and, and some pictures, but there aren't enough human words to put into language to describe what God has really prepared for us in eternity. But there is a taste of it here. There is a sense of it here in these two final chapters of what God's gonna do for us. So as we look at it today, I want you to notice that the title of my message is, If Then, What Now? Would you say that with me, everybody? If Then, What Now? We've all heard of when and then thinking, right? That when this happens, I'm gonna do that, right? So when my ship comes in, then I'm gonna start being faithful and giving to the Lord. When my family leaves home, then I'm gonna start serving. When my marriage gets happier, then I'm gonna really work on it. Can I just tell you this morning that when and then thinking never works? Oh, I can get a better amen than that, come on, y'all. So what I wanna do today is I wanna give you a substitute I want to give you an entirely different way to think than what we usually tend to think. So instead of thinking when and then, how about thinking then and now? I want to talk to you about then and now thinking. We take a look at what's going to happen then in the future, what God's prepared for us in the future, get a good grasp on it, and then we take that truth and we put it into the now. So watch, if God's going to do that for me then, what does that mean for me now? Today, if I have that kind of hope for then, then what does that mean for me now? If I got that kind of security to look forward to then, what does that mean for me now? 
So today as we walk through this, I like to do some then and now type of thinking. What God's prepared for us then and then what now? So what does it mean for my life today? What, what, what can I do? How can I translate that into the now? Because that's what these chapters are really about. And I wanna start it off with chapter 21, looking at verses one through five. John said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse four, he will wipe he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying, no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. And in verse five, he says, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Everybody shout new. How many of you like new stuff? Jesus said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are true and they are trustworthy. Wow, so, so what about then? What's, what's God saying is gonna happen then? What do we look forward to? The first thing you notice that I want you to see is then there's gonna be a new heaven and there's gonna be a new earth. John said there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible's an interesting book. It, it begins with a beginning. The first verse of the Bible says, in the beginning. Now we all know that any good book begins with in the beginning and then it ends with an ending. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't end with an ending, it ends with a new beginning. There's, this is incredible how God has, has mapped out this entire book. And at the end, scripture says, there's gonna be a new heaven and there's gonna be a new earth. It's fascinating when you read the end of the Bible. It's like, we're just getting started. You get to the end of the book and we're just getting this thing started because God's gonna create a new heaven and a new earth and we're gonna live with him forever and forever and forever. This, this promise here in Revelation 21, this isn't a new promise. You gotta understand, if you go back and read Isaiah 65 and 66, in those chapters, you'll see several times it mentions a new heaven and a new earth that God has promised. The prophet Ezekiel talks about it also. The prophet Hosea talks about it also. It's all through the Old Testament. But here in Revelation, it goes from a promise to a fulfilled promise. So God, John gets to stand there and he gets to see this vision of, the, of this promise actually being fulfilled, a new heaven and a new earth. Now, there's a couple of different ways that people think this is gonna happen. There's a, different theological persuasions on this. Some people think that this old earth and the old heaven, the heavens that you see in the sky now, the earth that you see around you right now is gonna be entirely wiped out and God just sort of starts over. Then there's other people who think, and I agree with this second way of looking at it, that the Bible teaches that God's gonna somehow take this earth and just like he's gonna take these perishable bodies of ours and resurrect them somehow to be imperishable, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that somehow he's gonna take this earth and he's gonna resurrect it just like he does our resurrected bodies. He's gonna take the material that we see around us and resurrect it into something indescribable and unbelievable. Anybody glad that we serve a redemptive God? That he makes ugly things look great again. 
Romans chapter eight says that the whole creation suffers the, the, the pains of childbirth together until now so that when we are redeemed as believers that something then can happen in creation also. It's an incredible thought, isn't it? The, the cha it challenges a lot of our thinking today because you always thought of heaven where there's lots of clouds. It's just like flowing clouds. And people are walking on clouds and everything's just white. Like there's no nothing but white in clouds. And somewhere in the background you hear, oh, oh, like the Little Mermaid stuff. And you can't really see anything because it's all white. And that's all that we kind of think about heaven. Why do we think heaven looks like that? Because that's what we saw on TV. That's what we saw in the movies. But there's a better description here in Revelation than anything we've ever seen on TV. Anything we've ever seen in the movies. And the only reason they describe it that way on television or in the movies is because there's really no way to picture it. It's indescribable. It's such an incredible thing that all they can do is throw some clouds up on it and put some white in it and hope it's a picture of heaven. But can I just tell you this morning that the real heaven, the real new heaven and the real new earth is in fact a new heaven and a new earth. Think about that. Not, 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 these white, not this white cloud place or however colorful it might be, but rather this earth recreated to be a perfect environment for all of eternity. Think about what that would look like. Think about the glory of an earth where everything is perfect. Because in eternity, everything's gonna be perfect. It's not a place of limits like we think about. It's an unlimited beauty. It's unlimited, unlimited glory, unlimited beauty. It's a new heaven and a new earth, and it's God saying, I'm going to make everything new. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've trusted him, and that's where you want to spend your eternity. How many of you want to spend eternity with Jesus? Amen? I'm telling you, you wouldn't want to go to heaven unless you're a believer, because in heaven, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus in heaven. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is what you have to look forward to. I don't care what your week was like, what your month's been like. I don't care what your 2020, this horrible year has been like. This is what you have to look forward to in the future. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So watch, if that's what's gonna happen then, and there's no doubt about it, what does it mean right now? Here's what John says in his letter that the same apostle who wrote down the revelation he received from Jesus Christ, he also wrote some letters to the churches of his day. They're called epistles. And in one of those letters, he wrote about this world. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17, John said the world. Everybody say the world. He said the world and everything that people want in it, help me out, there is what? It's passing away. But the person who does what God wants is the one who lives forever. So the question for me comes down to a question of investment. What am I going to invest in? If I had two stocks in my hand and one stock I told you, I guarantee you this stock right here is gonna decline day after day, month after month, year after year, until eventually it just goes bankrupt. But then I had this stock in this hand and I said, I guarantee you this one right here is gonna raise in value day after day, month after month, year after year for all of eternity, which stock would you invest in? It's a simple question, and yet, where do, where do we invest our life? Why do we find ourselves investing our lives in things that are gonna pass away instead of investing our lives in things that will last for eternity? 
Now understand, investing in eternity doesn't mean that you don't invest what's in what's happening right now and, and, and in your life and, and making plans and doing things smart and investing wisely for your retirement, for the things that you have going on in your life. God's got a lot of eternal things that he's doing in people and through people right here, right now in this earth. So if I know that that's where I'm gonna spend eternity, then what does that mean for me right now? Now, then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So how am I going to invest or spend, invest my life right now? It's all about investment. Everybody say investment. But here's the second thing. Here's the second then that John talks about. There's not only gonna be a new heaven and a new earth, but write this down. Then the Bible says there will be a new Jerusalem. Now, honestly, all of us would rather hear a whole lot more detail about the new heaven and the new earth, but there's only a couple of verses about it. Most of the verses in chapter 21 focus on the new Jerusalem. There's this incredible focus on what God's gonna do in the new Jerusalem, and there's a reason for that. There's a lot of what God talks about in this new Jerusalem that's a fulfillment of what he said he was gonna do all along. A lot of what he talks about in the new Jerusalem fulfills much of what's in the Old Testament and much of what God promised he's gonna do in the future. So it goes down to verse nine in Revelation 21, and it says, one of the seven angels who had seven uh, bowls full of the seven last plagues came to me and said, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. In verse 10, it says that he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city. What is it called? Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And as you read about the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven, you realize that this is telling us this is one of the places that we're gonna live for all of eternity. God pictures it as a city. Everybody say city. And it's interesting, when we read in the last, uh, the last chapters of, of another city called Babylon, a place of evil, and it's called the great harlot, but in these chapters where we read about a city called Jerusalem, that's a place of greatness that's called the bride. And scripture says it comes down out of heaven from God. And there's this incredible description about how God's gonna work in our lives in this city. Think about it. When you think of, uh, of heaven and you think about what, God, what, what God's gonna create there and has created there, what would, would you have expected it to be a city? Would you have expected when you thought about the new heaven and the new earth and all that, would you expected the picture of a city to enter your mind? Like when we wanna get closer to God, we say things like, I'm going to the mountains, right? I'm going to the river, I'm going to the beach, I'm going to the woods, I'm going to nature. Because that's where we kind of feel, and I believe there's, there's something uh, inerrant within us that does that. I can't tell you, most people I know who are believers, when they journey into nature for a season of time, they always come back and say, man, I got refreshed in my relationship with God out there. And I think there's something spiritual, there's something scriptural about that, do you know why? Because it all started in the garden. And there's something in us that keeps driving us to nature keeps pulling us into quiet, keeps pulling us into fresh air where, we're, where we get quiet. How many of you know when, when things shut up, God begins to speak to your heart? When things get quiet, he begins to move in your soul. And so we tend to think in the earth. Now that's in the earth. Understand, there's a difference. This is for life now. 
We tend to think getting closer to God means I'm gonna go to the mountains, I'm gonna go to the river, I'm gonna go to the beach, I'm, I'm, gonna, do, I'm gonna get out in nature. There's something about a city for us that makes us feel far from God. There's something about a city that makes us feel cut off from God. It's like we're surrounded by the congestion of people and steel and concrete. And we wanna get back to nature to feel close to God. But here in eternity, the throne is right in the middle of a city. Where all the people are, that's where God is. This, is. this is different. Heaven's a lot different than we know life on earth. You don't have to get away from people to get close to God in heaven. No, the closer you get to people, the greater the concentration of people that are there, the closer you feel God, because that's what heaven is gonna be like. Amen. Human history began in a garden, but here it ends in a city. People celebrating together who God is. And what we see here in Revelation 21 is this long description, and I wanna walk you through this as part of my tour today. I wanna walk you through this. What happens in this city? How many of you wanna know? I wanna show it to you. John wants us to understand some things very clearly about this city, and in verse 11, he says, first of all, it's shown with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of, very precious, of a very precious jewel, like jasper. Clear as crystal. In verse 12, it had a great high wall with what? 12 gates and the 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the what? The 12 tribes of Israel. So he says there's a city. And often as in that day, cities are surrounded by walls and gates that go into it in a city that's inside of it. And so what I want you to see about this new Jerusalem is he said, on the gates are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Imagine that. The gates are all made. Let's, I wanna show you something powerful because imagine these 12 big gates and above them are the, the 12 tribes, uh, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. But look what it says about the gates in verse 21. It says the 12 gates were, were 12 pearls, not millions of pearls that made up one gate. 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of that city was, 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 was of gold, as pure and transparent as glass. So I want you to imagine, the gates are made all of one huge pearl. They're not made pearly, they're made of a pearl. When the Bible says each gate was one huge pearl, how many of you see the value in that? Come on, what an incredible place that heaven is gonna be. And the Bible says that on, that's the gates, but then it says on the foundations are another name that we just saw on each gate, on, three, on all sides, there's three gates on each side, four sides of this city, three gates on each side. All the gates had the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on them. But then John notices the foundation of the city that we walk on. In verse 14, it says the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so write this down in your notes, another description of this. Its foundations had the name of the 12 apostles. And there's a couple of things here that stand out to me. First, the fact that you have the 12 tribes of Israel, that's in the Old Testament, all the saints of the Old Testament are represented there. 
Then you have the 12 apostles of the New Testament. That means all the saints of the New Testament are represented there. That shows that together, Old Testament and New Testament, all the saints of all the ages are gonna be together in heaven one day. Just think about the names that are on there. Think about these names. Imagine that you were one of, of the 12 sons of Israel. Imagine if you were Benjamin and you walked into heaven someday and you looked on the gate of heaven and you saw your name there. Like, wow, here's my name. Think about those 12 men who walk with Jesus called apostles and they, 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 they walk into heaven and they look down at the foundation and they see the foundation of the city and they notice on one part of the foundation is their name. So it's, it's incredible, obvious symbolism to these names and what they mean. But the practical side of it is what makes me think what an incredible thing that God does in our lives in this earth. I mean, here you have Peter who denied Christ, who put his foot in his mouth at every given chance he had. And his name is on a foundation stone in heaven. Here you have James and John who went to Jesus one day and they were arguing about who's going to sit on his right and who's going to sit on his left. And they were filled with pride. And if I were Jesus, I wouldn't put either one of their names on nothing because they wanted their names to be honored. Aren't you glad I'm not Jesus? Amen. And you ain't either, by the way. But watch, Jesus still honors them even though they struggle with pride in their lives. He honored them anyway because of their service and because of their sacrifice to him. Remember in the Old Testament, the 11 other brothers besides Joseph and what they did to Joseph. They threw him in a pit. They left him for dead. They sold him to slavery. Guess what? All their names are on the gates of heaven. Every single one of them. Normal human beings with normal human frailties and their names are right there as you enter heaven. You know what this shows me? It shows us that God can use ordinary, normal human beings in an incredible way to impact eternity more than you could ever imagine. You need to know that your life is impacting eternity more than you can imagine. I guarantee you that. We can't, we can't see it like we'd want to see it, but aren't you glad that one day we're going to see it in full color? To know that God, because of Jesus Christ, aren't you glad he looks past our failures? Aren't you glad he looks past our sin? Come on, he looks past our issues and he honors us one day in heaven. So from every direction, people are brought into this city through those 12 gates that are all around the city. And they're, they're coming in, watch, they're coming in through the witness of those 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. And watch, all the people, all the nations, they rest on the foundation of the 12 apostles that shared the truth about Jesus Christ. Come on, what a picture of heaven this is really like. It's amazing. Now, how big is heaven? The Bible tells us its size, at least the new Jerusalem part of heaven in verse 15. It says that the angel who, who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to, to measure the city, its gates and its walls. In verse 16, it says the city was laid out like a square. As long as it was wide, he measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. And as wide as it is high as it is long. And the angel measured the walls using a human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. Now obviously, 
there's a lot of symbolism in here, and you can't really uh, take the symbolism to mean in literal terms, but the picture behind this is very clear. Scripture says that the size of the New Jerusalem is 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia. So it's as long and as wide as it is high. That makes a perfect cube. Now don't miss this. Because the interesting thing about that is in the temple of the Old Testament, there was a place called the Holy of Holies. And it was where God dwelt in the Old Testament. And watch this. The Holy of Holies was 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet. It was a perfect cube. Any Jewish leader that would have read this in John's day right away would have went, oh my goodness. It's another perfect cube. In this case, write this down. It is 1,500 miles on each side. That's what a, that's what a stadia is, if, in case you didn't know. 12,000 stadia is 1,500 miles. But even if that were all there was to heaven and it's not, how many of you know, that's pretty big. 1,500 miles on each side. And in this city, just like in the temple, you've got God's dwelling place for all of eternity. The picture here of its size is saying one thing and you can't miss it. There is room for everybody in heaven. And this is God's dwelling place. And it says in verse 22, it says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is the lamp. And it says the nations will walk by its light, and the king of the, of the earth will bring their splendor into it. So the Bible says this, that the light of this city is the glory of God. Amen. There's no need for a sun. There's no need for a moon. There's no need for stars. Come on, the glory of God is all the light you're going to need in heaven. And then it goes on to say in verse 25 that on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so now we turn the corner into the final chapter of Revelation. In chapter 22, you walk in through these gates, and what's in there? Is it, is it all noise? Is it cars? <laughs> is it horns? What does it look like? Turning the corner to chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, it says that an angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of that city. So as you walk into the city, there's this feeling like that of a, of a garden. Relate that to what we talked about a minute ago. And one of the things you're gonna see going right down the middle of this city is the river of life, right down the middle of it. Now for us, when we look at that, 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 that term river of life, we tend to think of the life part of that. But people reading this in John's day, they would have certainly thought about the water part of that. Because in any city in Israel, 
In fact, any desert city for that matter, one of the main concerns was where's the water going to come from? And they had vast, listen, they had many different ways to, to, to get water into the city for all the people that would be there. They dug wells outside the city. They had aqueducts going into the city. There were many, many creative ways to get water into the city. But scripture says this city has a source of water right in the middle of it coming right from the throne. And this river flows right through the city. It's the most incredible picture of abundance. Everybody say abundance. It's a river that we're going to be able to drink from from all of eternity and drink in the life of our God. Can you say amen? This is what heaven's like, more abundance than you could ever even imagine. Now watch this, because then on each side of the river, there's really something incredible. Because verse 2 goes on to say, on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And so write this down. On each side of the river, you have the tree of life. Do you remember the tree of life? Remember back in the first chapters of the Bible in the book of Genesis, God talked about two trees that he intentionally placed in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And what did Adam and Eve do? They chose to violate the command and direction of God. And Adam and Eve ate of the tree they weren't supposed to. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And do you remember from Genesis 1 and 2 that God said that because they had done this, they must be driven from the garden watch, lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. Now, we read that and we think that that's what was the punishment. God was punishing them by removing eternal life from them. He didn't want them to have eternal life because they sinned. That's not what he was doing. What was he really saying? Listen, don't miss this. He was saying he didn't want them to eat of the tree of eternal life and live in a fallen state like that forever. That's how good God is. He didn't want them to live separated from him forever. He wanted us to live with him together forever. And here it is again. Here is the tree of life planted right in the middle of heaven. Why? Because now God wants us to eat from it for all of eternity. Now God wants us to live eternally like we're actually going to be when we actually meet him and see him face to face. He wants us to live like that forever, not in a fallen state. It's a powerful reality that Old Testament and New Testament come together in that tree of life. In fact, if you read the first chapters of Genesis and then you read the last chapters of Revelation, there's some really awesome parallels. Watch this. In Genesis 1 and verse 1, the heavens and the earth are created. In Revelation, the new heavens and the new earth are created. In Genesis 1-1, the sun is created. In Revelation, there's no need for any sun. In Genesis, night is established. In Revelation, there's no night anymore. In Genesis, the seas are created. In Revelation, there is no need for a sea because sea talks about separation. A sea separates people. There's no need for a sea any longer because God wants us to be together. In Genesis, the curse is announced upon all mankind, but in Revelation, the curse is removed. In Genesis, man is driven from the tree. In Revelation, we're eating from the tree. We are restored to paradise. In Genesis, we see sorrow and pain enter the world. In Revelation, there is no more sorrow. There's no more pain forever and ever. 
If you read these descriptions of what it's gonna be like, man, it talks about streets of gold. It talks about pearl, pearl gates and, and, and every gemstone that you've ever heard of and even some that you've never heard of. You read the descriptions of heaven and you immediately see this is a place dripping with value. It's a place drenched in light. It's a place that is bathed in beauty. Why? Because God is there. And there's no being in the universe more valuable than God. So wherever he is, it's going to be a place dripping with value. There's no being in the universe more filled with light and purity than God. So wherever he is, it's going to be drenched in that kind of light. There's no being more beautiful in all the universe than God. So wherever God is, how many believe there's going to be breathtaking beauty for all of eternity? That's what heaven's going to be like. It's a long description of the new Jerusalem, but God wanted us to be sure how valuable of a place heaven is going to be. So then the question, that's then, that's then. So the question is what now? What does this mean for us now? Let me show you Philippians chapter three. Paul said, but we are, help me out everybody, but we are what? Citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. Hey, if you're a believer, I got good news for you. You're already a citizen of this place. Thank you for your overwhelming enthusiasm. I said, if you're a believer, you're already a citizen of what I'm describing. This is, belongs to you. Come on, you have registration there. You have a place there. It belongs to you already. This is why your citizenship, this is where it already is. It's in a place called, listen, we are not citizens of this world. We are passing through this place. We are impacting this place. You are not an earthly being having a temporary supernatural experience on Sunday. You are a supernatural being having a temporary experience in this earth. This is not, that's why you shouldn't get tied to a bunch of stuff in this earth because it's all gonna pass away. This is what we have to look forward to. This is our citizenship. It's in a place called heaven. Aren't you glad that you already have, you're already a citizen of this city. You're already a citizen there. And so what's gonna happen when we get there? What does God have prepared for us for all of eternity? Verses three through five. No longer will there be any curse. Hallelujah. That's it, let's just go home right there. That's, that's enough. The throne of God and the lamb will be in that city and his servants will serve him. They will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their heads, relationship. And there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and forever and forever. I don't know everything we're gonna do in heaven, but I want you to see these three things that we are gonna do in heaven. We're gonna serve him, we're gonna relate to him, and we're gonna reign with him for all of eternity. I do know that. That's where you're headed. I said, that's where you're headed. I'm trying to tell you that's your future right here. Do you got a future at your job? Do you got a future at your company? 
Some of you may have lost your job recently and you feel like, man, I don't have much of a future. The truth is, in this world, we don't have much of a future, but I'm telling you, when you see what God has prepared for us in heaven, aren't you glad every one of us as believers has an incredible future to look forward to? Oh, service and relationship and reigning. The honor of that. And also the responsibility of that for all of eternity. That's what's gonna happen then, but what does that mean for now? Since you know that one day you're gonna serve him for eternity, and one day you're gonna reign with him for eternity, and one day you're gonna see him face to face and have perfect relationship with him for all of eternity, what does that mean right now? It means that we should be living for a city that is not of this world. It means that we should have our eyes fixed upon the author and finisher of our faith. It means that we should get our head out of the weeds of this world and stop looking at a virus and stop looking at the economy and stop looking at all this hatred and all this mess and lift our eyes to the hills from whence cometh our help. That Jesus said, when these things begin to happen, lift up your head for your redemption is near means we should be living and investing ourselves in things that last forever. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? When you think about all these descriptions of heaven that John gives, isn't it mind-blowing? It's, it's, it's breathtaking. I think my favorite verses are those that we read earlier in, in, in chapter 21 that des describe heaven. When God says it's, it, it, what it's going to be like for us on a personal level, he goes through all these descriptions and he says, there's going to be no more crying. There's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more pain, no more heartache, no more loss. Doesn't that hit every one of us? Don't you want to be in a place like that? Don't you get tired of crying? Don't you get tired of pain? Don't you get tired of the fact that life doesn't work out the way you thought it was going to work out? How many believe we all do? But then, number three, God will dwell with men. Oh, that's good news. Because when he dwells with us, none of that stuff's going to be there anymore. This is fascinating because scripture tells us there's one thing that will not be in heaven. There will not be a temple in heaven. There will not be a building for God to dwell in because he's going to dwell with every one of us everywhere. In fact, the Bible gives a description of God uh, dwelling with men. It's, it's one of the ways you can actually read through the Bible from this lens. If you read the Old Testament, you're, you're going to see something called the tabernacle. Everybody say tabernacle. Or it's called the Old Testament, the, the temple. In the Old Testament, that's where God lived because he was holy. And only the high priest was allowed into the Holy of Holies to be in his presence. And he better come correct. Because if he don't come correct, God is no respected person. Many of them drop dead. In fact, if you go back and research the Old Testament temple, the high priest, before he went into the Holy of Holies once a year to make atonement for the sins of the nation, they used to tie a rope around his ankle with bells on it. Because if he walked in and he was not coming in the right way, he would drop dead and the bells would stop ringing and they would pull his dead body out. How many of you know God don't play? And so God dwelt in this place called 
a temple in the Old Testament. It's one way you can read the Bible. In the Old Testament, it's where he lived, that holy of holies part of the temple. So when people wanted to connect with God, they would have to get close to that temple. And so watch, in the Old Testament, God dwelt beside us. He was there in a physical, he was not there in physical location. You, you, you could get close to him, but you could not be in his presence. But then along comes the New Testament. In the New Testament, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that the curtain that was about 12 inches thick and about 15 feet high that separated the Holy of Holies from the temple, the moment Jesus said it was finished, in that temple, that, that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies where God dwelt from the rest of humanity, the Bible says was ripped in two from top to bottom. God did that to say, because of the finished work of my son Jesus on the cross, I don't live there anymore. Now I'm gonna live somewhere else. And the New Testament tells us where that is, that the Holy Spirit, God's presence came to dwell in in us as believers, write that down. So now, through the Holy Spirit, God dwells within us. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is why you hear me say all the time, as beautiful as this building is and how wonderful of a miracle that God did in this church for us to be able to build something like this. People said it would never be done. People laughed at us and said that there's no way something like that could be built here. And I'm telling the people, our people, all of us came together, just regular, ordinary people. And through prayer and through sacrifice, we all came together and we said, let's just see what God can do. And here we are sitting in it. So we're sitting in a miracle. But let me tell you something. No, don't clap for that. Don't clap for that because it's beautiful and it's a miracle and God's gonna use this as a tool. As beautiful as this is, as wonderful as it is, let me tell you, this is gonna pass away. Every, the seats you're sitting in is gonna turn to dust. The walls are gonna crumble one day. This is why you hear me say, the church is not a building. The church is people. It's people. Everywhere you go, God dwells in you. But in heaven... In heaven, there's gonna be something greater than that. In heaven, God's not gonna dwell beside us. And God's not gonna dwell just within us. No, 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 in heaven, God's gonna dwell with us. God dwelling within me, I know he's there all the time. But wouldn't you, wouldn't you just like to sit down and have a face-to-face -face with Jesus? In heaven, you're going to be able to see Jesus. In heaven, you're going, to have, you're going to sense his presence everywhere you are. It's going to be indescribable. I mean, come on, this life here on earth, I mean, think about it. Even though you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you as a believer, isn't it true, be honest, isn't it true that you can, you can sometimes go hour after hour and sometimes even day after day without realizing and recognizing God's presence in your life? Even though he's living within you. That ain't gonna happen in heaven. In heaven, he will dwell with us. That's what we have to look forward to then. Anybody glad about it? So, what now? If I had to use five words to talk about the what now of the sense of dwelling with God, it would be the five words that he speaks to us, and I encourage all of you to anticipate these five words with all of your heart and all of your life, these five words. 
I am making everything new. I am making everything new. In heaven, you'll never hear the words, been there, done that. You'll never hear that. Because guess what? In heaven, everything's new. And every time you do it, there's a sense of newness to it. There's a sense of excitement to it. I don't care if you do it a million times. Every time you do it, it's like you did it for the first time. It's like the roller coaster that you love. At some point, after you've done it 50 times and thrown up five corn dogs, you kind of already know what it's gonna do. Like, it's still fun. But wouldn't it be great to ride the roller coaster a million times and every time it's like your first time? Everything's new in heaven and it's always gonna be new. It's always gonna be fresh. It's always gonna be vibrating with life. It's gonna be vibrant. Selah. Do you ever get bored with earth? Of course you do. We're human beings. You get bored with the person next to you right now. We get bored with all kinds of stuff. We're, getting bored. we're, we're, we're bored with a new car in about three weeks because the new car smell's gone now. That's why people shop for new car smell. Where is it? I want to find the new car smell. I want to like my car again. I'm bored. We get bored with all kinds of stuff. We get these great Christmas presents every year. How long is, how many, how many times do you get bored with stuff that you got at Christmas? Some of you couldn't even tell me what you got for Christmas last year. You don't even know. You're bored already. We get bored pretty, pretty quickly with stuff, right? We get bored with relationships. We get bored with ourselves. <laughs> some of you look in the mirror and go, you're so boring. And some of you are right. I'm, whatever. It is what it is. God made you. Whatever. We get bored with our job. We get bored with our life. And when that happens, here's the what now. And this might be the most important thing that we talk about today for some of you. When that happens, when I feel bored with life, that's telling me that I need something more. It's telling me this is not all there is. See, I got one of two choices when I get bored in life. I can either go back to what was old or I can look forward to what is new. And what do you do as a believer? That's what you do. Listen, when you get bored in life as a believer, you realize you can go back to what's old and you can try to find your old satisfaction in some old sins and some old habits and some old patterns that you were in before you became a believer and you can go back to that vomit thinking it's gonna taste differently this time. You can do that, but it's not gonna work. It's actually gonna feel worse. You know how many times I've talked to Christians who got saved and then they kind of got bored and they kind of fell out of relationship with Jesus and so they went back to try some old stuff and they went to sit in the bar again and they told me, it just didn't feel right. I don't know what happened. It used to feel great. Now it doesn't feel right anymore. You know why? Because now you've got something living on the inside of you. Now you have a reality in you. That's not my home. I'm not a citizen of that anymore. I'm a citizen of something else. It doesn't work to go back to the old. You could try to do that or, and this is what scripture tells us to do, you can turn and you can look forward to something new. 
Because the truth is, in this world, listen, we're gonna be unsatisfied. There ain't nothing this world has that's gonna satisfy your heart. In this world, we're gonna realize that, that, the, that the, as we live here, that we don't have all there is. That's what heaven's for. When you feel that way, what do you do when you feel bored in life? You anticipate those five words. You know what? One day, I'm going to live in a place where God says every moment of every day, I am making everything new. We live for that day. Come on, how many of you are living for that day right now? I'm living for that day. That's where we find our joy is in the future. That's the what now of all of this. And then the final thing, and you might expect the book of Revelation to kind of to, to end with this, but it says in, in verse six, it says, and the angel said to me, these words are, are, are true, are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And then another voice comes into this that's not an angel. Another voice comes in and says, look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Remember, it's his revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of the beast. It's the revelation of Jesus. These are his words to us. Jesus says, I, look, I I'm coming soon. Now, listen, you and I hear that word soon, and what does it mean? Sometime next year? I mean, soon as in what? Like, like, like January 1st, 2021 would be kind of cool, kind of good, perfect time. How about November 3rd? That would be really good. What does it mean soon? I am coming soon, soon. Everybody say soon. Soon and very soon. We are. Yeah, yeah. we'll stop right there. <laughs> Powerful words though. What does it mean next week? You need to understand what that word soon means in the Greek language. The word soon in the Greek language has a sense of immediacy to it. Not, not sometime soon. That's English. It's not sometime. I'm coming soon. We hear that English language is sometime soon. That's not in the Greek. The Greek language is it's a now soon. It's an any moment kind of a soon. If I told you that, 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 that you were going to move your whole house in the next century, how, how would that affect you now? Well, whatever. But if I told you you were going to move this next weekend, how would that affect you? You'd get up and leave here today and you'd go start packing, right? Listen to me. Start packing. He's coming soon. I said start packing. Listen, start investing your life in where you're headed, somebody. Start investing your life in his people. Start letting go of the things that hinder you and keep you from serving him. Come on, somebody touch your neighbor and tell them, start packing. Come on, start packing. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. 
Now you might have the question, well, how could, it be, how, how could he have been coming soon for like the last 2,000 years? Was somebody wrong? Was somebody wrong about him coming soon in the last 2,000 years? No, the Bible teaches Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. So any believer of any age can look forward with immediacy and excitement to his coming. That's why Jesus said, I am coming soon. Verse 12. Y'all getting anything out of this? He says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. The beginning and the end. So I want to show you a couple of descriptions of Jesus right here. Write these in your notes. First of all, the Bible says that he is the Alpha and the Omega. What is that? The Alpha and the Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. That not only means that he's the first and the last, the beginning and the end, but those words also mean that he is the source, Alpha, and he is the goal, Omega, of everything. Jesus said, no, I'm the first, I'm the Alpha, I am the Omega, I am the first, I am the last, I am the beginning, and I am the end. It started with me, and baby, it's going to end with me. But what it really means in the Greek is, not only are you the first and the last Jesus, not only are you the beginning and the end, but you are my source and you are my goal of everything in my life. He goes on to say this in verse 16. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you the testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning Star. So write this down. Jesus is also David's root and his offspring. Watch this. He's David's father as God, but he's also David's offspring as the son of God who came in. I'm going to say that one more time because I don't think y'all got it. Okay. He's David's father as God, but he's also David's offspring as the son of God who came into the earth. That's Jesus being both God and man, and both together in one is coming soon. It's coming soon. Verses 14 through 15. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to eat, the right to the tree of life, and may go through the gates into that city. But watch this, verse 15. Just watch this. Outside are the dogs. Everybody say outside. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts. Oh, get in on horoscope. Oh, we got quiet. Let me press on that for a second. Don't be getting on horoscopes. Don't be getting no palm reading, tarot card, party tricks. It ain't funny. It's evil. It opens up the demonic to your life. And it's identified right here. Outside are those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Now understand this. He's not talking about everyone who's done these things. He's talking about everyone who hasn't turned to him for forgiveness for these things. Come on, anybody glad for the mercy and the grace of God, man? 
How many believe this morning that our robes need to be washed of those things? And verse 15 gives us one clear word, one clear one word description of hell that you will find anywhere. It's the first word of verse 15. It's the word outside. Everybody say outside. That's what hell is. Hell is outside of God's love, outside of God's grace, outside of God's blessing, outside of God's beauty, outside of God's presence, outside of heaven. It's a place that is outside. But Jesus gives us the assurance that when we trust him, our robes are washed in his blood and they're white as snow and we get to spend eternity with him. Amen, everybody. And then we see this incredible warning and I wanna show this to you because there's a lot of questions swirling today. Verse 18, it says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the, of the prophecy of this scroll. Watch this. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues that are described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. You better be careful today when people shove in front of your face and tell you this is of God. There is no other gospel. Did you hear what I said? There is no, well, there's, it's, it's, it's another gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, if you add anything to this, God's going to add to you the plagues that are described in this book. Well, there's God plus, no, no, no. There's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus only. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. Well, all these different religions lead to this. No, it doesn't. Well, the Torah has some good things. No, it don't. If anyone adds to or takes away from anything in this book, there is a price and a judgment that is gonna come down on those people. So you better be careful what people shove in front of your face. Well, this is also a revelation of Jesus. No, it's not. If it, ain't, if it does not line up with the word of God, you better run as far from that junk as you can. Then in verse 20, man, that felt good. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things, here he says again, yes, I am coming soon. And John said, amen, come, Lord Jesus. Jesus said, I'm coming soon. What would you pray at that moment? John prays, Jesus, as soon as you can. Come on, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And then the last verse in the book of Revelation, verse 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus, be with God's people, amen. I like that it didn't say the judgment. It says the grace. It's interesting to me, the first verse in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the last verse of the Bible says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The first verse of the Bible is, is a perfect description of what happens in the Old Testament. God creates everything. But the last verse in the Bible is a perfect description of what happens in the New Testament. Jesus comes to redeem everything that God's created through his grace. It's no mistake. I think the Holy Spirit made sure that the word grace 
was right there in the last verse for all of us to see. That the last word in the Bible, and we see it, we see this last verse that we see grace. Everybody say grace. Did you know, though, that in the Greek language, the last verse of the Bible is not amen. In the Greek language, the last word of the Bible is all. It's actually the word all. This God's people is translated as the word all. So in English, the last word of the Bible is amen, but in the Greek, the last word of the Bible is all. I think God wanted all of us to see God's grace through Jesus Christ. So what's the what now? What's the what now in light of this? Don't miss this. Because John says this, the angel says this, and even Jesus said this. I could pick out 10 or 12 kind of kind of what now points, but let me just give you, let me give you three. Three now actions that I do because I know that Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? Say yes. Jesus says one word. He says, come. Jesus says, since I am coming, then you come. Since I'm coming for you, then you come to me. Look what he says in verse 17. He says, the spirit and the bride say, come on, help me out. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Don't you wait for Jesus to come for you. You come to him. By the way, he already came to you. That's why he came to this earth. He already made the first move. He came to you. He paid the price. Maybe some of you in here watching online, maybe you haven't come to him yet. Maybe you just came here today or you logged on the internet today for this study, wondering what the Bible teaches about the end of time. You better hear me. If you wait for him to come to you, you're gonna be afraid of his coming and be wondering what kind of judgment may come upon your life. But if you come to him first and say, Jesus, I need that living water, then you don't have to fear his coming anymore. You anticipate his coming because you know what kind of God he is. So at the end of this book, Jesus says, come to me. Everybody say, come, come to me. The one who someday is gonna come for you. What now? Here's the second what now. And that is, wash your robes. Wash your robes. Everybody say, wash your robes. Wash your robes. In verse 14, we read it a minute ago. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates of this city. You and I have robes that are washed in the blood of Jesus because of his forgiveness. That's what happens when we come to him. We wear white robes because of his forgiveness. Not because of our perfection, but because of his forgiveness. It was John Newton who said famously that in heaven, we're gonna be surprised by three things. First, we're gonna be surprised by who's not there. Secondly, he said, we're gonna be surprised who is there. Thirdly, we're going to be surprised that we're there and we get to wear these robes. I don't know how long the surprise is going to last because we don't remember our sins from this earth there, but we're, going to, we're not going to grieve over them when we get to heaven. But I have to believe that there'll be this kind of millisecond of a surprise in our eternal life that I just look and think, I get to wear this? I get to wear this white robe? Me? 
All the things I thought, all the things I said, all the things I did, all the things I failed to do, I get to wear this white robe with all the other saints. I get to be called a saint in heaven. Come on, anticipate that. Anticipate it. That's what we get to do now because of Jesus' forgiveness. And then one final thing to remember to do is what the angel told John to do. It's what the whole book of Revelation has told us to do. It's what the book of Revelation prepares us to do on this earth so we can do it in eternity. And it's worship God. Worship him. Come, wash your robes. Worship God. Verses eight and nine. John said, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. What did he say, everybody? Come on, one more time. What did he say? Worship God. When John got on his knees to try to worship the angel, the angel pulls him back up and says, no, 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 worship God. The one who made the heavens and the earth, the one who's gonna remake the heavens and remake the earth, the one that we're gonna get to spend eternity with. You see, don't miss this. Worship is declaring to God boldly and clearly how much he's worth in our lives. The only reason that heaven is what it is it's because God is who he is. So we're gonna spend eternity worshiping him for who he is. And ladies and gentlemen, that concludes the book of Revelation. The end, the end. Listen, church, it opens with worship and it closes with worship. Can we just take a moment and can we worship him right now for who he is, for what he has done, for the future we have to look forward to. He's a good and gracious God. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one moving around this room. I just want everyone to reverence this moment right now. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you've prepared an incredible future for us. Oh God, I'm so thankful that you didn't want us to be outside. You wanted us to be inside. You didn't want us to be separated. You wanted us to be apart. And that's why you came and you died, Jesus. But sometimes, God, we get in the way. And sometimes we try to return to old things. Sometimes we try to return to old habits and, and old ways and old practices and old mindsets, thinking that those things are gonna satisfy and fulfill us, only to be disappointed again and again and again. But Lord, you said that this earth is not our home, that our citizenship is in a different place. God, help us to keep our focus on that. Help us to lift our eyes above this earth and to get our focus and anticipate that you are indeed making all things new. God, I pray for the believer. I pray for the one who's a follower of Jesus in this room or online on the radio. 
and the one who's struggling right now in their life because of this world and the hardships and the pain and the crying and the sorrow. Minister peace to them, Holy Spirit. But God, I pray that you would build the anticipation in their life that one day there'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more heartache. God, build that anticipation in their, in their soul. God, give us the strength and the hope and the faith in you to be in this world, but not of this world. To affect the darkness outside of this building by being light and shining into it. To be salt in it and savor it. That people around us, we can lead them to freely receive the life of Jesus too and be with you for all of eternity. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just remain in prayer in this moment. I'm not gonna belabor this point, but just very quickly, those of you in this room, those watching online, I really believe if you're here today and you feel a wrestling inside of your heart, you feel an emptiness, you feel kind of a distance or a coldness spiritually, but you know you know it's right. And maybe you're not close to Jesus. Maybe you're far from him today. I really believe you're in the right place. I really believe you logged on to the right place. Because I'm gonna give you an opportunity today to make that right, to come to him just as you are. You don't have to change anything to come to him. He says, come to me just as you are. I will help change you. I will help renew you. I'll forgive you. But you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. It was all paid for on the cross, every bit of it. Even the things I'm gonna do tomorrow, you better believe it, everything. But you have to come and surrender. And here's why I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you, listen to me, I'm pleading with you because I don't want you to be outside. I don't want you to be outside. I want you to be inside. I wanna see you in the river of life. I wanna see you eating from the tree of life. I wanna see you worshiping. I wanna see you doing what God has purposed for you to do for all of eternity in his presence. But that's your choice. Listen to me carefully. It's your choice where you spend eternity. If you spend eternity outside, it's because you chose that. And my friend, today you have an opportunity to make that choice. Right now, choose this day whom you will serve. You're not promised tomorrow, but God's given you grace for today. Do not harden your heart to the Holy Spirit right now. I wanna invite you to a simple prayer of faith. I'm gonna lead you in a very simple prayer. And for those of you who want a fresh start with God in this room, every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not gonna ask you to stand or come to the front, anything like that, but just right where you are. If you'd say, you know what, pastor, I wanna be part of that prayer. I want you to lift your hand right now. Come on, all over this room, lift your hand and say yes to him. All over this room, hands are going up. God bless you. All of you, so many, so many, so many. Praise God for you, praise God for you. I wanna lead you in a very simple prayer right now. We're gonna pray with you as a church family. And so church, all of us praying out loud with them right now, dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. I surrender my whole life completely to you. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me to live for you. Thank you for a fresh start and a new beginning.
in Jesus' name. And the whole church said a big amen. Come on, we give a resounding praise to God for people coming to Jesus today. Amen, amen, amen. Listen, if you did raise your hand just now, if you raised your hand and you prayed that prayer with me this morning, would you do me a favor? In the seat back in front of you, there's a connection card. Would you take that out? Just spend a second filling out your information and check the box that applies to you that either you came to Christ today for the first time or you made a decision to recommit yourself to the Lord today. I wanna know who you are. We wanna know who you are. We wanna pray for you. We wanna celebrate with you what God did in your life today. Just take that card right now, fill it out. And as you exit in just a moment, you can put it in the containers that one of the ushers are holding in the exit ways. And we just wanna connect with you. There's some great things that we have here that can help you in your walk with Jesus. We have systems for all of that that can really, really, really enrich your spiritual life. Thank you for filling that out. In church, I just wanna invite you in this moment to freely give today as we have freely received. This is a part of worship. Giving, scripturally, is a form of worship. And so I wanna invite you to do that. And there's three ways that you can participate in this, um, in returning the tithe to him cheerfully, giving offerings even above and beyond that. There's three ways. If you're in the room, you can use the envelopes in front of you. If you want to in the seat back in front of you, you can fill that out. You can drop it in the containers that the ushers are holding in the exit ways. Or you can, other two ways, and those of you online can participate with us as well. You can give online to vibrantchurch.com slash giving. You can go there. It'll give you some safe and secure steps to set that up. Or you can do what most people do, and that's text to give. You can text the word vibrant to 77977. It'll take you through a couple of very simple, fast, secure steps. You can give that way. But church, listen, thank you so much for partnering with us just this week. I told our Wednesday night audience this, but I wanna tell you again, just this week I talked to uh, someone who, who, I didn't know who they were, they just came up to me in public and they said, hey, are you the pastor? I said, yeah. And uh, they told me, they said, you know, I, I, I haven't been in church since I was a kid. And he said, and, and I, I came because I'd heard and had a friend of mine, I didn't really wanna go because I had a bad experience in church when I was a kid, I haven't been in forever. He said, but I came in, in this Revelation series and I've always been intrigued by that book anyway, but he said, I just, I sat there and he said, man, just the, I've never felt the presence of God in my life until I came. He said, I just want you to know, pastor, that I gave my life to Jesus that morning, just a couple of weeks ago, sitting in that auditorium. And then I brought my friend and they gave their life to Jesus the next week. And then we brought another friend and, and they gave their life to Jesus the next week. And he said, man, we're so excited. We don't know what God has for us, but we're just excited. And I walked away from that with tears in my eyes, just thinking, that's why we do what we do. That's why we exist. In church, that's what you invest in when you give to the Lord, when you return the tithe, when you give offerings. It's not into buildings and budgets. You're giving to changed lives like that. And how many believe that has an eternal rate of return? Amen, everybody. It's the best investment really you could ever make. So thank you, thank you church for doing that. Would you stand to your feet this morning before you leave? I just wanna pray for you. Come on, open your hands and receive this. I just pray may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and may he give you peace in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you Wednesday night online.